Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Welcome to Cavs and Podcast. I'm Nate Smith. I'm here with Chris Francis, um, and we're going to have Elijah Kim joining us here in a bit. But uh, just uh, wanted to touch in with y'all. I know we've missed a couple recaps. So, you know, first of all, we wanted to talk about the Pelicans game that was on MLK Day. Um, interesting game. I, uh, the Cavs won 113-103, uh, kind of a backdoor cover, because I think they were tra- favored by nine and a half. Nice. So, um, Excellent. I didn't know that. That's awesome. <laughs> the other side of that being the Cavs kind of played like poop for, I would say, what, three and a half quarters, and then kind of, I kind of felt like they were toying with their food a little bit. Um, yeah. I think it was a common, I don't know, like it was people had many a good theories about it. Like it, it's the new rotations with Rubio. Yes. Yeah. You know, um, also the phasing out apparently of Chetty or just him trying to play around with the end of the bench or whatever. Yeah. Um, so no, I mean, it was kind of weird. Like to me, what stood out was just Rubio, Rubio finally found his game is really what happened. Like it, he looked awful. He didn't put up good stats, but he was uh, impacting the game positively anyway. Like he yeah. was made like the, the right basketball plays were there to be made for him. And he was creating a whole bunch of good stuff. So like that was the main thing I took away. It was like a classic Rubio game where he just his presence on the court alone you know, and his communication, his ball movement, his leadership, you know, just all those intangible things uh, impacted the game positively with a with a. And also, I think partly another thing that, you know, I don't know, I want to get your take on it. But like, I think JB has started to toy with the past couple games with uh, Lamar Stevens at the four. And yeah. I think it's finally producing some results in terms of finding a small ball lineup, finding a, a highly switchable perimeter lineup to, yeah. to get out. Yeah, I would say that's true. And then we would be totally remiss if we didn't say that uh, Darius Garland had an enormous second half uh, in that game, finishing with 30 points, 11 dimes, six rebounds, and only two turnovers in uh, 40 minutes. I mean, that was a, it was a, and leading the team in plus minus, oh, well, tying with Stevens anyway. And I felt like a lot of that was Garland in Stevens minutes together. And I also thought that Ricky did a really nice job, uh, uh when he was on the floor with Garland, um, just kind of helping him 
uh, how do I put this, helping him be a scorer and a distributor. But Garland was definitely running a heliocentric offense that game, I felt like. Yeah, no, he's doing his best Steph Curry bit. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, what I was going to say is, no, you're exactly right. I just listened to Rubio's uh, practice presser uh, from today, and he literally talked about um, his job on the court when he's with it, when he's on there with uh, Garland was basically he runs the point for Garland to create an advantage for Garland to start the start the manipulation, you know, the nice. offensive work, you know, and so. Yeah. Like he's that, that's literally, you know, you just pointed it out and that's, you know, that's what was going on. That's what was making it successful is that Garland doesn't have to work as hard finally for a shot or a pass or a score, you know, like he can start his play with an advantage created by somebody else for once, you know, and that's right. what Ricky does. And, you know, it's a beautiful thing, creates beautiful offense. You know, uh, the thing that stood out about Garland is how clutch he was. Like he yes. was making every clutch shot and he's making every clutch play in the fourth quarter. So, you know. Yeah. Was, and, I, uh, and I do think a lot of what you said was about uh, Stevens at the four uh, helped them a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, I also the other side of this game that. I don't want to talk about, but I feel like needs to be talked about. The Cavs struggled against a New Orleans Pelicans lineup mess of three starters. Um, and that is a lot of the reason they won the game. I mean, they, New Orleans missing its best player, missing its uh, arguably its second best. Well, not its second best. CJ McCollum's probably their second best, but clearly missing and all NBA player in uh, Zion Williamson. Uh, the Cavs should have dominated this team. And I, oh, I double digit win. Yeah. Yeah. I just, the, the big thing I see. And of course, I think Eli's, it's more going back to what you were saying is they, they probably were playing around with their food for basically three quarters. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. And but clearly I mean, not a great game from Donovan Mitchell hurt his groin. Um, yeah. only 11 points, only played 22 minutes. Um, you know, that's, that's concerning. Uh, fortunately, Jared Allen had another monster game as, as he should against, um, although Jonas Valanciunas and Jackson Hayes are, are decent big man combo, but, yeah. uh, J.A. was feasting 24 points, 11 boards, five assists. Second game in a row, right? Yeah three stocks like monster game. And then Mobley, uh, fill in the lane with 19 and eight, a lot of dunks. So it was, um, it was definitely a complete game. The Cavs looked, um, pretty, uh, they, they had a decent free throw shooting game too, uh, which they've struggled with a bit of late. And then of course, another super nice game for Isaac Okoro, who just kind of keeps chugging along, getting better at little bit after little bit, uh, 11, four and one, um, two steals again, two or four from the three point line. I really like the confidence with which he's shooting. Like he's, he's starting to figure it out on the shooting side. Like I'm even seeing him shoot off movement a little bit. And I think once he figures that out and gets his confidence, I think the sky's the limit for him. I mean, I really do see him as a late bloomer, a guy who's really going to start to come into his form, you know, 
22, 23. He's not even, he'll be 22 in two weeks. So I'm, I'm excited about the future for Okoro. And then, um, of course, uh, the guy yeah, that kept I mean, him going in the first with, half, Karis Levert. <laughs> to go back to Okoro real quick, I, I don't trust the shot, but what, what heartens me is the increase in rebounds and the increase in stocks. Yeah. You know, like that's what he really actually needs to be doing, you know, in order for me to see progress, you know, yeah, well, like it's all those done, things, you know, you know, yeah, sure. Yeah. Exactly. You know, to me, like the, I, I just don't believe the jumper. I mean, we saw him shoot nearly 40% last year and, or at one point or whatever. And well, he's just, a very young player. Exactly. Young players so that's are very gonna, streaky. Yeah. And that's, so that's just going to take a lot of time to me. Yeah. Like where are the where were the stocks? Where were the rebounds? You know, he's an athletic freak. Um, he's, no, and he's getting them now. Yeah, he's exactly. getting the stocks, so the rebounds. Happening. So the, yeah, that's yeah. what I want to. That's what I want to pay attention to when it comes to him. Is because yeah. he, you know, the shooting. Everybody knows about the shooting or lack thereof or whatever the case may be with that. But like he would, everybody was saying, well, he's on the court for his defense. Well. There's no rebounding. He was one of the worst rebounders in the NBA. Probably still is probably somewhere down there, although much improved. Yeah. Um, and there was no stocks. But now, you know, now year three is a year three now for him. Yeah, it is. So now we're starting to see, I think the defense is really coming along. And I think yeah. that's what's giving him confidence in the shot, you know, and, and as long as, you know. But, but it's like not just confidence, it's form. I mean, he's yeah. getting the arc on the shot, the release is quicker, the arm motion is better, his his footwork, it's all in rhythm. Like, it's been much better. I was actually impressed with his shot last game. Yeah, like, I mean, he's it's not thinking about he, it as much. I think he's definitely worked on it. I think it looks better. Um, I think... Uh, I think what remains to be seen like, to me, what's weird about it is that he kicks his feet out for some reason. Like, uh, like I haven't noticed like, that to be honest. Yeah. With you. It's weird. Like he, he does this weird thing where he kicks both feet out when he jumps, you know, for the jump shot. I'll, and, I'll have to pay attention to that. Yeah. And it all, it, like, it's almost as if like it creates a fadeaway effect, you know, like that you're like, that's what it, that's what it, that's when your feet kick out is when you normally yeah. shoot a fadeaway, you know, to keep your balance. Like, it or, looks or like you you're trying to draw a foul from, uh, Karis LeVert. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Zing. Got you, Eli. I hope you're, <laughs> he's on. <laughs> is he on? <laughs> yeah, he is. He's lurking. He's lurking in the background. Oh, of course, of course, we're going to talk about how amazing Karis LeVert was in the first half of that game. <laughs> and how the Cavs don't win that game without Karis Levert's excellence uh, in pretty much every facet, including being a human being. Um, I'm, I'm just I'm trying to bait Eli here, but he's not taking the bait. Um, uh, no, Karis Levert, kind of the best Cav in the first half, fell off a cliff in the second half. Um, and then there's the other guy that I feel like is the elephant in the room right now, and. I'm going to quote a I, – I actually slummed it and logged back on Twitter for 20 minutes today, just because, even though I'm trying to quit. Um, and Braden Todd said something interesting about if you think the problem is Karis LeVert and, with this team and not the backup four or five, 
right now, then you, you're you're smoking something, and I and I'm with him. Uh, Kevin Love has been nigh unplayable for the last since basically January fourth. He's in a huge slump. I think he's made. I think he's like one for his last 25 on threes. Um, just unplayable on defense and can't shoot on offense. Um, and but again, the are, but the Cavs are plus six. Like, didn't Eli just say the Cavs are like plus six with love on the court over the past 10 games? Oh, for sure. Um, part of he's the like, reason one for, of our best players, like, in no, 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 he's not. Yeah. He's been terrible. Oh, yeah. He's been yeah, terrible. He was ranked. He's he was ranked. Hold on, hold on. I got it right here. The only guys are ranked ahead of him are Rubio and Neto. <laughs> I think part of the reason Kevin Love is is that net rating is teams actually guard him, and what that does is give Mitchell and Garland and Karras exactly. room to exactly. work. Yeah, um, absolutely. If teams were smart, they wouldn't guard him. No, because that's what'll get right him now. going. No, well, that's what'll we'll they, they want him. They want him to stay in the slump. Trust me. Like <laughs> I, I think they're not going to leave him open. That's why I, I, I have that. not been impressed with Kevin Love. But let's just put it that way. And the Cavs need to get a stretch three four. He's never been higher. I would love to see Chetty get some backup four minutes, but as you noted, he is probably on his way out of the rotation again and. He'll probably, Which is insane. I, it's utterly it insane. It is insane. It's, it's total. Nuts. It's sad. It, yeah. It's very frustrating. <laughs> I, I I fully expect to see him get traded. Yeah. Uh, to be honest with you, I, the I, way. I, that's that's what I'm that's what I'm here for right now is the JB slander. Like that's yeah. what I'm prepared to give to the people tonight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. And and again, as as I noted, I didn't think the Pelicans win was a very impressive win. Um, you know, they CJ McCollum got his um, Jonas Valanciunas had a nice game. But again, I just I, felt oh, like, come on, man, it was a double, it was a double digit win. Yeah, they played with their food the whole time. They 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 they, they could have trounced against that one of the best by te- against one of the best teams in the league. Missing three starters, their best player. Come on. They've been missing them for a while. Though. I mean, they got CJ well, McCollum as a third option. You know, yeah, like they're, they're stacked. I, they are, but they they weren't very good, um, and I wasn't very impressed with them. So, and of course, let's when we get back, uh, we'll talk about the previous game, which to me was another, you know, JB meltdown, uh, and we'll come, we'll go from there. So, stay tuned. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to Cast Podcast. I'm Nate Smith. I've got Eli Kim has joined us. Chris Francis and uh, Eli, I know you had to sit through us cajoling you on the uh, uh, because your mic wasn't working. So now is your chance to rebut any of the ridiculously ill-informed uh, tweets or uh, comments we made uh, covering the 
Pelicans game. So anything to say? I mean, I don't think anything was too egregious. I know you guys are very on the Karis Levert agenda slash island. And honestly, at the beginning <laughs> of the year, I thought he played pretty great. I, I mean, I think the Boston games will forever hold near and dear to me because I thought he proved us all wrong with those games in the, against the Celtics. But um, I agree. I thought he had a pretty pretty rough second half against the Pelicans. But uh, I know, I think, Nate, you were a little bit more down on the game, but I thought, you know, a double-digit win against a team that had a, a schedule advantage, um, you know, an afternoon game after, uh, you know, traveling back, you know, I think, it could have been a scheduling loss for the Cavs, but I was just glad that the Cavs showed a lot of fight and, you know, won because they had a pretty dominant fourth quarter where they put the clamps on another team. Um, I still hate, and, and uh, I think I tweeted this on the account, but I do still hate the Coro Stevens lineup. Um, it did work out okay for the Cavs in this game, but I'm just... Like uh, Chris was saying, I just don't get how Osman is not getting run. Like, it just blows my mind. And, look, I get it. He did commit a pretty bad foul on a three-point shot in this game. Um, but to only play five uh, with, minutes. With the Pelicans game? Yeah, in the Pelicans game. But to only play five minutes, it's it's incredibly horrible. I mean, like, the Cavs just need – the Cavs didn't even get a three-pointer off the bench. Um the bench, I think, was like 0 for 8 or 0 for 9. And uh, Jetty didn't even take one. So I think if the Cavs are going to tr- truly try to maximize this year, it has to be with Osman playing more. And you guys bring up a good point right now with Dean Wade out and Kevin Love battling some shooting woes. I mean, why not let him play a little bit small ball four? Um, and instead of Lamar Stevens, especially when you're down in a game of all things. So I'm um, I'm just happy they won because I think it's, what, 11 out of 16 games they've won. So um, good to still be, you know, trending along, even though the Cavs are fifth. But uh, in the East now, because everyone else is just playing great basketball too. Um, but I think the key takeaway is that I think J.B. Bickerstaff is not getting – the most out of this group and and we're going to go into the Minnesota game. And I think that's case in point of where I think he really came up short in his uh, coaching and decision-making. Yeah, I'm with you. I think as the season goes on, uh, those games that the Cavs probably should have won and they had, you know, meltdowns at the end or um, just really poor coaching or mental lapses or just played down to their opponent are really going to, kind of come back to haunt him a little bit. Um, so we'll, we'll kind of see what, what happens there, but yeah, going back to the Minnesota game, uh, which we haven't covered, that was Saturday night. Um, pr- pretty rough game. I would say, um, what did they lose by? Well, 110 the, the to one hundred two. The thing about that game was why the hell was Mobley playing after the injury, especially, and why was Donovan playing? Yeah, so go into That's that a little more because I didn't what the hell have the sound on. What, what was the injury and what was going on there? 
Well, so the issue with Mobley was he knocked knees um, at some point in the game uh, in the first half. Um, had to had to uh, walk off the court and go back to the locker room. Well, and he came back. He didn't start the second half. He was still in the locker room. He came back out. When he came back out in the second half and got rotated in, the Cavs just lost it. They just completely – they. that's when the collapse started was when he got subbed back in from the injury. And combine that with in part in, – and partly the reason that also happened was Mitchell was not himself. He was sick, and apparently he was nursing a growing injury that's now gotten worse. Like, what the hell were these two guys doing? They should have been load managed. It was just crazy that they got put out there um, in the first place. They played, in fact, they played, I want to say they played, uh, yeah, they played Mitchell 37 minutes. Yeah, so, it's just nuts. Yeah, I'm with like, you. Like, what's going on? Who, 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 who's, and then. And, and it's been happening over and over and over over the last three seasons. Yeah. So with, with just terrible decisions about when to put guys into games. Um yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Have your shot. <laughs> I I mean, I'll I'll keep going. You've got Raul Neto, who'd been playing very well. Um why not put him in? Give him half of right. Mitchell's minutes. Like limit Mitchell's minutes to twenty minutes or don't play him, load manage him. You've got Chevy, Chetty Osmond, who was sitting there at 15 minutes um, and could could obviously get some more run. You've got, uh, you know, obviously you don't want to play Ricky Rubio, but you've got, you know, Lamar Stevens. He was plus five. Yeah. Yeah. It's just why Mobley was on the court was pretty baffling. Um, And. And I think it points to, you know, JB's got his guys and the other guys aren't going to get get to play if everything's equal. And it, it, it is goofy sometimes, especially that game. I thought, well, and the other thing, wasn't Minnesota on the back end of a back-to-back? Yeah. And the other thing was Okoro only got like 15 minutes, even though he started and he made two threes. Yeah. And then he, they didn't go back to him. I thought that was also just such a weird yeah, decision. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not like Garland was playing terribly. Um, you know, he was shooting okay, and it, it was just a really poorly managed game, as you noted, Chris. Uh, one of, I thought, one of the worst coach games of uh, JB's tenure. I mean, they, of course, were missing Cat. Um, they were they were missing quite a few guys. Um, and Nas Reed killed him. Obviously, Anthony Edwards. You, you would think that you would give Okoro some more run on Anthony Edwards when he's lighting you up for 26 points uh, and was clearly the best uh, Timberwolf. Like, how do you not put Okoro on that guy? You know, I, I, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get what they were doing. Um, the, the other guys that were... We're lighting them up, you know. Jalen Noel, Nas Reed, that that Pistons bench, or sorry, Minnesota bench, just had a lot more energy than them. And really, it was the bench with some huge plus-minus numbers for Torian Prince and Jay Noel and and Luke Garza even lighting up the Cavs. Like it's that if Luke Garza's lighting you up, um, 
you have a problem with with defense on your bench. Um, it, it, well, it that was a it weird game. It wasn't even the bench. It was Mobley. Yeah, he just shouldn't have been playing. Like he couldn't guard anybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, what? Why do you have a guy out there if he can't guard anybody? <laughs> because he's hurt. I mean, you can't even blame Mobley in that situation. Clearly, he wasn't himself. Like, it's up to the coach to save the player from himself at that point. It's it's ridiculous. And and the other thing that's a bummer is he wastes good performance out of other guys. You know, Karis LeVert, other than that threes had a decent game. You had uh, uh, Jared Allen having another nice game. Um, it, it just, I don't understand what they're doing sometimes. Like, I feel like JB can't alter his script sometimes. Like, if things change and the way they manage injuries is just, I mean, you've seen it with Kevin Love with his with his inability to shoot right now. It's like if they'd had managed, what was the point of having Kevin Love go out there and not be able to shoot for three weeks and then now not be able to shoot again after the new year if when you could have just rested him and gotten reps for Stevens, Okoro, you know, all these other guys. I think that's less on JB and more on the organization as a whole and Kobe, who's in control of the roster. Well, I mean, I, I will say that's true, but it's also the training staff. You know, they have said more than once that player safety is their number one concern and or the number one factor. And to me, that rings really hollow with the way they manage injuries. It's very odd. So I don't know. Eli, I, I've been bloviating for a while there. No, I mean, I'm with you. I think uh, I think the whole, you know, Jared Allen was like sick, and then they tried to bring him back in. And then Mobley coming back after knocking knees was just pretty hard to stomach because you just knew he wasn't himself. He was the worst player plus minus in that game by a lot, and it wasn't even close. Um, and I think another thing is the Cavs, I think they quietly kind of reported this, or Chris Fedor did, but, you know, Dean Wade had a setback in his, uh, you know, injury. So it felt like he was close, and then something must have happened because now it doesn't sound like it's close at all again. So um, I think the Cavs just continue to be in this weird push-pull where they're, like, trying to win every game, but then they know they got to rest some guys, but they also, like, can't get away from themselves wanting to like win. So then they keep playing who they think are the best players who's Lamar and Lacoro together and having no spacing instead of using the number one net rating player in the NBA and Jetty Osman off their bench in a comeback scenario. Um, it's just, it's just frustrating because it's like, you know what? Why not just try it once? Like, it'd be one thing if they tried Jetty Osmond to consistently get 30 minutes a night, but they don't. They do it for a game, and then he fouls one three-point shooter, and he doesn't play the rest of the game. Like, that makes absolutely no sense to me in terms of how, why some players get these long leashes and the other players don't. Well, and, and you know, Karis Levert against... Um... Oh, what was the team? Was it Phoenix? I can't remember. Oh, uh, the Jazz. 
fouls fouls Jordan Clarkson four times in the last five minutes and on a three and can't get, you know, he'd have to shoot somebody to get out of the rotation. So yeah, it's very odd. I I do not get it. And it seems completely arbitrary. And and I say this as a Karis Levert fan, as a guy who I I think he got a bit of a raw deal that, that game. But also if, if you're going to give, if you're going to pull Chetty for one bad foul, it's like, I feel like he has the shortest leash of anybody on the team. Well, he does. And the the people who have the longest are Okoro and Stevens. Yeah. So and that's that's the whole issue here is that there's it's JB making a decision, I think, two ways. First is the consideration like he doesn't care about offense, period. He just cares about physicality on defense. And that's why Okoro and Stevens both play and they play over Chetty because of their physicality on defense. But at the, you know, at some point, like, like it's clear what the numbers show that playing a and Stevens hurts the team. It, it's consistently hurt the team over the course of this season. They played at less than, uh, less than, uh, ideal lineups and rotations because of their insistence on playing those two guys. And that's fine or whatever, like if for the sake of development or for the sake of, you know, getting guys prepped for the playoffs, whatever that's fine or whatever, but like, you know, going back to what Eli said and what you guys have alluded to with load management, you know, what's going on with not using Chetty, you know, just eat minutes, you know, like that's what pitchers do in baseball, whatever they eat, they eat minutes. So why? Well, and Raul Neto. Yes, exactly. Why hasn't Raul Neto and Chetty just eaten minutes? Like why didn't they like do what pop does and, you know, sit the guy like Donovan Mitchell should not have been playing. Raul Neto should have taken those minutes. You know, uh, same thing with Mobley. Play Chetty at the four. Play some small ball because teams have been killing you with small ball anyway. And, and you know what's funny is that when you mentioned Chetty at the four, that was working pretty well when they had Chetty, Karras, uh, Okoro all on the perimeter you could switch all four of those guys and all four of those guys have length. You know what I'm saying? Well, and it, it yeah, and really well in the early is a season. bit of a shot blocker and they're right. playing that with love too, weren't they? Uh, well, yeah. no, that they were playing with Mobley or Allen, but yeah. yeah, right, right. That was more and, last year, but and yeah. then at the four who was, um, well, it was mainly Chetty, from what I can yeah. tell, or Okoro, depending yeah, on you know, the right. matchups or whatever. Yeah, and then it was Levert or Garland or Mitchell at the one. Right. You know, exactly. And I'd love to see that with Rubio. I think that could work some wonders, you know. Possibly. Well, he, you saw him experiment with, like, uh, all, like, I think he ran, like, a Rubio, Karras, Okoro Stevens lineup last night, which had no, obviously no shooting at all. <laughs> yeah. He was just trying to see what, what it would do on defense. Mainly, <laughs> he was trying know. to find some place he could play Stevens <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah. Um, and with that, uh, we'll be right back. So anything else to say about uh, Minnesota or, um, uh, New Orleans guys, uh, I didn't see other than, you know, Ant looking very good. Did you see that he became the youngest player to make 500 threes um, this week? No. 
Uh, I think he's going to end up being a very good player um, for a long time. I mean, he's kind of built exactly how the NBA is going. So, but the only, the funny thing about that is the, the Rudy Gobert trade just seems terrible right now. Like, is he doing anything for them? No, he's worse than Walker Kessler. Walker Kessler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's just traded. looking like an absolute steal. Yeah, they. it's been an abject disaster. Like, I can't imagine how bad the vibes are there just because, you know, everybody knows they fucked up so bad. <laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely... I, I think that's a huge part of it. Um, and it so much seems like just watching the Cavs that it was a lot more about Donovan Mitchell than it was about Rudy Gobert. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Right. <laughs> yeah. But right. Now no, that I mean, being... that's what's hilarious is they spent more to acquire Gobert than they did, than the Cavs did to acquire Mitchell. Like, why don't you like, think of what Mitchell would be on the wolves with oh my god and yes they'd be incredible yeah yeah so i mean that's the kind of thing that's probably got to haunt that's got to haunt that's got to haunt aunt davis you know oh absolutely like he's he's got to be he's got to be thinking i got to get out of (laughs) here yeah well i don't know he's a weird dude um the other thing you know we talked about mitchell i i think they're should be a real discussion amongst Cavs aficionados uh, now that Lori Markinen has surpassed Donovan Mitchell on a lot of analytics boards in terms of uh, especially estimated plus minus, which is a stat that, um, you know, uh, Chris and I love. Um, with as bad of a season as Mobley is having and as good of a season as Markinen is having, like, is there a little bit like maybe Moby Lee was the guy they should have traded instead of marketing? Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> this is such fucking... The, you, what, what? Oh my god. I fell for it. You, you, you hooked me, you bastard. Oh my god. I, but I'm, I'm half serious. Like... I know you're half serious. That's yeah. Mobley's not been good this year. I'm a coward. Is that why you're a coward? Because that's (laughs) how you really feel, but you won't just own it. You won't just proudly say, I'm Nate. And I believe (laughs) that Mobley should have been traded. I'm Nate Smith and I'm a markaholic. (laughs) Markaninaholic. No, I, I don't, I don't think, though. I'm just throwing it out there. But I will say, um, Mobley's not having a good season so far. Uh, analytically, um, you know, and I think... I feel, uh, I, I feel like that's... I feel like the whole situation with expectations and Mobley is they were wildly misplaced. What oh, I'm with you, expecting? and I think it hurt what him. Were people, yeah, what were people expecting? Like if you go and look at my my whole thing is everybody's saying he's the next Garnett, right? Well, if you go look at Garnett's stats at the that at this age, what was he doing? About the same thing. Like he didn't break out until age twenty three or twenty two or twenty three. Like, what were people expecting out of Mobley's age twenty season? That's what I want to know. Okay, yeah, you're just wrong. <laughs> it's just not true. Um, what? Twenty what? year old what Kevin. Talking? 
20-year-old Kevin Garnett, 17 points, eight boards. Yeah, uh, that's what isn't that three what and a half Mobley, stocks. Isn't um, that what Mobley's averaging right now? Uh, well, let's look. I don't think so, but maybe no, I'm wrong. Mobley's down to like 14 and a half, I think. Or yeah, and he's his not, stocks are down actually. I think this year. Yeah, and he's not rebounding. He's well. We did talk about that last time, which is, and that's what I brought up that no one else wants to bring up. I guess his numbers are. Definitely nowhere near Gar- where Garnett was on a block. I'm not saying they're near Garnett, but what I'm saying, what I'm saying, well, no, literally, that's what you said earlier. No, no, what I'm saying, <laughs> no, what I'm saying is the trajectory of Garnett's career. If we, if they were supposed to be the same thing, then if you look at what Garnett's career, like the trajectory, look at what his numbers were the previous year. They were almost identical to this to the age 20 season. That's what I'm saying is the progression that happens between ages 19 to 21 for a big man aren't going to be that, you know, they're not going to be quantum leaps in production at that young of an age is what I'm saying. Like Garland or, or Garnett didn't break out until age, what, 21, 22? Like if you have the stat, I'll, I'll he was an all star in his second year. I mean, he was. An electric I'm not player by about, a second I'm, not, year. I'm talking about like, uh, I'm talking about like, okay, so when he became the number one option. So he became the number one option and finally performed at a high level at that age 23. So he averaged 22 points, 12 rebounds, five assists. That's when he became a star. It's pretty, and so you look at age 20 season, he was 17 and eight. Look at what he did age 21, 18 and nine. The progression is there's not that quantum leap until you get to 22 and 23 years old is what I'm saying. So that's when we're going to that's when we're going to see the massive leap from Mobley. But everybody's crying about it. Why aren't they seeing it now? Right. I I, I am because I'm sitting here looking at Lori Markinen's stat page and he's putting up 25 points and nine boards on ridiculous true shooting percentages. Um, and he'd be the perfect three for this team right now. So I'm, or the perfect four. So I'm a little, a little bit saying that. Yes. Um, I, I am got a bit of buyer's remorse there and I'm sure I'll hear about it in the comments section, but you know, I, I oh think, my goodness. so you would have traded, you would have wanted to trade Mobley instead of marketing. I, you literally saying that I, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying if I had it to do over again, I would do that trade. I'd do Mobley instead of marketing if I had it to do over again. Oh and I'd God. also oh have gotten goodness. Bogey. I would have also gotten Bojan Bogdanovic, who I was clearly wrong on at the beginning of the season. Plenty left in the tank. One of the best shooters in the NBA right now. And... The Pistons got him Dude, for a he second plays round. In meaningless pick. games in Detroit. Come on, man. With well, no you don't think he's no gonna. You don't to think shots. he's on. gonna get even more and better he's open looks with Darius Garland. The, the same thing's gonna Mitch- happen. Oh my lord! The same thing's gonna happen to him that happened last year, which is he's gonna get picked on you know, on defense mercilessly in the playoffs, and <laughs> his, the team that he plays for is gonna have a nice first round exit. <laughs> Wow. Wow. <laughs> okay, but he doesn't have to play if Laurie Markin's playing. He can come off the bench. 
Oh my God. I want to hear what Eli has to say about this. Like Eli, what do you have to say about trading Mobley? I would not. And I think, <laughs> I think Markin is having a great year better than any of us anticipated, but I think he also, it also helps that like they're building, they're running the offense through him. Yeah. Um, they're featuring him for sure. Yeah. And I think any player can look great. I mean, sh- Man, Sexton, Colin Sexton even averaged 24 points when the Cavs were. No, won. I don't think any player can look great. Okay, not I, any, but to some degree, if you're an okay shot maker and you get enough looks, I think you can look, you can put up good numbers. I'd say, I'd NBA. say, if anything, that Mark Marketing's breakout this year is basically another indictment against JB and what the hell is he doing on the fucking offensive end of the floor? Ooh. Fire. What is he doing? Like, why isn't he? Why didn't he feature? Because Markadin was definitely not the. He wasn't no. even the third option on offense in uh, 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 last year. Yeah, for sure. So, what the hell is JB doing? That's what I want to know. I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of the problem with Mobley is the way they're featuring him. Um, and, and the fact that the Cavs just routinely look like they don't have a plan on offense. Uh, that's what really bothers me sometimes. I I don't know. I thought I thought Mobley actually had an okay offensive game against the Pelicans, though. I he mean, did. I he's just, like the best. He's like the best right now on this iteration of the Cavs. He's like the best fourth option of all time, and I don't think. I mean, at times he's the fifth option for the Cavs, and I don't think that's. Right what he's going to be in the long run. But for now, I think the Cavs can't really straddle the line of like developing him and winning games because when they do that, he's not ready yet. I don't know how to get him ready without maybe sacrificing some games, but I think the Cavs are just so hell bent on being a top five Eastern conference uh, seed. And, avoiding the play and at all costs that they're not, he's not going to get those, those opportunities. And I think a full off season with Mitchell and Garland and Allen will really help him going forward. And that's why I just think it's his defense is already so amazing. I don't think I would even remotely consider the market. And I, I think his yeah. defense can be amazing. I have, I actually think he's taken a step back defensively this year. And a lot of that is due to the fact that he's trying too hard on offense. Um, and it's also due to the fact that his motor just isn't what it was last year. And I don't know why that is, but he takes a lot of, a lot of quarters off. And I've seen it where he only starts really playing until the fourth quarter. Um, I think there's a vibe around the team around that. I mean, they get off to terrible starts consistently. I think they have the best record in the league when trailing at halftime, which kind of tells you their mentality a little bit. Um, it just, to me, Mobley is, is definitely not as good as he was last year defensively. He's probably a little better offensively. He's not, but he still has these kind of forays where he tries to do too much and turns the ball over. But that's the whole Cavs team. Like, they go through these spells where they're just ridiculously bad with the turnovers. So, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think the if you are, you know, a class half-full guy, like, 
it's hard to I'm not going to deny that Mobley did not take a leap like we thought, but the two points I want to make are I feel like none of the sophomores this year are really doing that much better. I mean, like Scotty no. Barnes looks atrocious. Yeah, he does. Obviously, Kay, Kay Cunningham's hurt. Alperin Sengun is looking, you know, he's putting up better numbers, but he's still like only plays 24 minutes a night because he can't stay out of foul trouble. No, the, the, cr- the cream of the crop is honestly Franz Wagner right now. Yeah, and he's quietly playing well, but they're, you know, they also got Paolo with perhaps one of the greatest rookie years that we've seen in the last 10, 15 years, honestly. I'm telling you, that team is legit scary because Bol Bol is a devastatingly effective bench player. And and they have, you know, two unicorns in Banchero and Franz Wagner. And... You know, that team gets a point guard. The rest of the league is in trouble. Honestly, I think they don't have a point guard on purpose right now so they can tank one more season. Well, I also think it's to give Wagner a lot of uh, run at initiating offense just to see oh, if that's, for sure. that's a full-time thing he can do. Well, so far it's looking like it is. Yeah, and I think, I think the other point is, you know, that's obviously – bringing down other people's faults to make our player look better. Isn't the only thing I want to do, um, but, <laughs> but um, I, you know, Mobley has made some improvements in certain, like his two point percentage is up a lot. He's making close. He's shooting a lot better on the free throw line, even though it, though it doesn't feel like it. Cause you know, he missed like six in a row recently, but he's up, up to almost 70% from the line. You know, his advanced numbers are better. Um, his you know per is up, and his you know per hundred numbers are up, and obviously the team's better, so that's to be expected to to some degree. But um, you know, I think there are certain you know his improvements are kind of like in the margins, and obviously that's not what we were expecting. We were expecting some kind of leap, but um, you know, I think long term, I just don't think. If you're selling Mobley stock long term, I'm still buying all of it. As so, that's kind of where I'm at on that. Uh, okay, that's fair. You, you guys is have, a top uh, fifty. He's in the top fifty right now in SPI. What, what is SPI? Nope, nope. When we come back, <laughs> tell me what SPI is. Welcome back to Cavs Podcast. Nate Smith here with Chris Francis and Eli Kim, and uh, we're we're at the halfway point, boys. We're uh, I mean, the season has flown by, I feel like. Um, Yeah. All-star games less than a month away. We've got got the trade deadline coming up in about, what is it, February 10th, thereabouts, Mm -hmm. in about three weeks. Um, It's – and we're we're over the halfway mark. I think the Cavs have 45 games under their belt. So, yeah, what has – surprised you positively what and i'll just we'll just go around the room what is it what has been a pleasant surprise for the Cavs, eli that you've seen that you did not expect oh for me um i think it's definitely how good donovan mitchell is um you know being on the jazz up until now we only got to see him two times a year but he's really He's really just a lot better than I thought he was. Um, when the trade happened, I thought the Cavs gave up a lot. And I still think that they gave up 
a very market price. It wasn't a steal by any regards, but the one thing that I find solace is that I think Donovan Mitchell is just a lot better player on both ends. And he's also just a lot better like person and leader than I could have ever envisioned um, having as the best player on our team. So that's probably that, the biggest. That's very well put. I, I will agree with you. And, and <laughs> my wife is, is nodding in assent in her sleep in the other room. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's my, that's my uh, point. So. What about you, Chris? Yeah. I mean, I don't, he really took mine. It was definitely Donovan Mitchell. Like just, he's ridiculous. And you like, that's what's changed everything in terms of the Cavs. You know, I think that's probably what's causing that kind of schizophrenic identity crisis that they have between development and winning is, <laughs> is the fact that Mitchell is a player that wants to and expects to and also is good enough to reach a championship uh, in the NBA as the best player of the team. So I think that's what's surprising is that uh, how good he is. He, like he, he literally is one of those, we were talking about before, one of the 10 players that matter, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Um, for me... I, I wanna I'm I'm trying to come up with a point that's different than you two. And I think the big thing for me is the growth of Chetty Osman has really and almost despite his coach, not almost despite his coach, absolutely despite his coach, um, Chetty Osman's ability to impact the game off the bench um has really um, made the Cavs bench dangerous. And, and it's weird because his points are down. His field goal percentage is way up. His shooting from three is about the same, but um, his, his rebounding is up. Um, it, everything, he's just playing so much faster and he's kind of figured out a role that works for him. And, it just drives me nuts that he doesn't get the opportunity to exploit that on a game to game basis. Like some smart team is going to trade for Chetty Osman and then we're going to get a mediocre player in return and it's going to annoy me for years. I already can see it coming. Um, And so that, you know, leading the NBA net rating, um, you know, 63%, 61% on two point attempts. He just is a player that has figured out what he's best at. And it, and that's attacking in transition and he's doing it over and over. And like I said, some very smart team is going to figure that out. And the Cavs are going to be really hard to deal with when, when they do. So, or not the Cavs, whoever trades for Chetty Osmond. So that's fine. And then I guess I will follow that up with um, kind of what has been my biggest unpleasant surprise, my most unpleasant surprise. And that's been J.B. Bickerstaff's lack of improvement and lack of taking responsibility for mistakes um, consistently and kind of consistently blaming the team when he's still doing dumb things from game to game to game. 
you know, mismanaging challenges, um, putting out goofy rotations, playing guys that should not be playing. Um, and I say JB, but it's really the organization and the coaching staff as a whole. Um, the lack of creativity on offense at times, um, just writing guys into the ground. It's just, it's frustrating. And I really wish we'd seen improvement there. And I, I don't feel like I have. So uh, the Cavs should have a better record than they do, frankly, for as good as Donovan Mitchell's playing. Anyway, unpleasant surprise, Chris. Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, to me, it's, yeah, I mean, it's JB, you know. I mean, the team's clearly statistically underperforming. So I don't know what to make of it other than it's, well, and it's weird. What What's weird to me is, like, I think that he's totally a vibes guy and totally a gut feeling guy. You know, like I know he has his principles about defense, but I think he's just a totally fly by the seat of his pants gut guy. And it's just like, I wish he would just trust the numbers more, you know, because in, and sometimes he does, it's weird. Like he'll trust the numbers a lot with love, for instance, which, you know, I guess it's just because loves a champion. He's been a former all-star all pro, you know, he's got the credibility in the game you know, for JB to respect or whatever, but, you know, uh, you know, wish he would just trust the numbers with Chetty and Raul and Raul Neto. Like he's deserved minutes. He earned minutes. Like he was a plus six or something like that on the season so far, you know? So it's just like eat, you know, like when you got guys here that are giving you positive minutes that could eat regular season minutes, you know, they could keep your guys fresh you know, if the focus is developing guys and, you know, getting to the playoffs healthy, then play, you know, play the guys, you know. And also, the I guess you could say uh, Windler. I should give a hat tip to Windler. Like, why, like, we're on year three of wasting a roster space with an injured player. Four. Year four. Four? It's been year four? Holy shit. That's so depressing. <laughs> yeah. If Windler is on the Cavs roster after the trade deadline, I will be shocked. I honestly, here's what I expect to have happen. I, I totally ex- expect him to be here. Really? You don't think? You think no, I think I think he's gone. I think he's a contract at this point. He's he's a dead money contract. Um, actually, here's what I think it will happen. I think he will go to another team as part of a trade at, for salary matching purposes. And then he will be back in the Cavs organization next fall. And we will go through this again. (laughs) He'll be on a minimum contract and we'll just be like, it will be 2029 and Dylan Windler will be out for the next two months with an ankle injury. (laughs) So there we go. Eli, um, uh, disappointing surprise. Most disappointing surprise about the first half of the season. Yeah, I mean, we talked about Mobley, um, and we talked about JB already. So I guess if I have to try to conjure something um, that's a little different, I'm actually going to go with Kevin Love. And fa- well, it's not really just Kevin Love, but it's also Father Time. Um, <laughs> Father I Time knew- disappoints us all, Eli. 
I know Father Time is undefeated, but I did not know he would come this quick and swift and strong. And I think there were snippets of it with Love last season too, but it was just masked by how well he was shooting and how well he was able to take charges. I feel like he's a step slower. His shot is definitely way worse. And he just he's just not able to move his feet to like an acceptable level right now. And it's it's honestly quite depressing because who would have thought in 2015 when the Cavs made the trade that Kevin Love would be the one that st- stuck it out for you know all this time his eighth year with us in Cleveland and you know heck when he signed that extension after LeBron left there was no way we would think that he would be playing every year of that extension and it, it looks very likely that he's going to so I think my disappointment is not completely directed at him but just the fact that we're watching you know one of the Cavs legends just kind of deteriorate quickly in front of our eyes yeah and and I think the the, the worry about that is the Cavs are actually depending on him for real minutes um and even more for rebounds like that's pretty much his role off the bench is to be a rebounder and the fact that the Cavs you know, couldn't find another guy. Like, I really feel like they really need to find a another big off the bench at the trade deadline because I'm very concerned about being able to depend on Kevin Love off the bench in the playoffs and, and in crunch time down the stretch. Oh, I mean, I agree with you. At this point, I don't think he's in my hypothetical playoff line, like uh, rotation. Like, I just don't think... It works. If if he is, he's in the he gets the Duncan Robinson treatment where you draw up one play to give him an open three and if he makes it you keep him in there, but if he misses it, <laughs> he's he's done for the half. <laughs> well put, Eli. Well put. And uh with that we'll be right back. Welcome back to Cavs the Podcast. I've got Elijah Kim and Chris Francis here and uh we're just going over kind of what the halfway point of the season has felt like for us. And Chris was laying a little knowledge on me in the break as I kind of talk about if there's anything else we want to talk about the first half of the season. What was what what was your revelation that you were laying on us yeah. there, Chris? Yeah, it was just, you know, like the Cavs are an elite team. Like they're one of the best teams in the NBA. I feel like amid the griping and grousing about bigger staff or whatever like i think it's born out of the fact that this team has a real like keep people keep on saying i see on the boards all the time oh we're not real contenders oh we're not real contenders what are you talking about we're top three in the nba like we're in the conversation like there's a group of teams that you would consider okay they got a shot we're in that group you know and what i was saying to nate was about uh, if you look at stable stable player impact stats um, from uh, Kevin Farragan from NBA Couchside, uh, he uh, he did like a Pipham luck adjusted plus minus stat or whatever. The Cavs have are tied with Memphis and New Orleans for the most plus impact players on the roster. So we have seven players. You know that's a whole playoff rotation. We have a playoff rotation's worth of players that make positive impacts on the game. 
Who so are those players? They are in order of best to uh, best to worst. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, Jared Allen, Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, Chetty Osman, Kevin Love, Karis Levert, and uh, Dean Wade is at zero. So Dean Wade's uh, at neutral. And and go down the list. <laughs> I okay, want to hear yeah. the rest of them. The, the rest of them? Okay. So Dean Wade, Isaac Okoro, Ricky Rubio, Raul Neto, Lamar Stevens, Isaiah Mobley, Mam- Mamadi Diakite, and Robin Lopez. Bringing, bringing out the end. I would 100% guess that was the way the bottom shook out there. But what surprises me a little bit is actually one of the things I want to talk about um, is, is the backup power forward on the, of the future already on this team. And I'm not talking about Mamade Diakite and I am talking about Mobley, but I'm not talking about Evan Mobley. I'm talking about Isaiah Mobley, who is tearing it up in the G league right now. I mean, I think the Cavs or the charge at one point have won six straight. Um, you know, he's shooting 40% on four threes a game from the three point line. Um, he, I don't he's understand why he didn't get minutes. I don't. Well, I, I as, don't know. As soon know, as Robin I, Lopez started struggling, I don't understand why he didn't get some spot minutes. I, I think they want to develop him in the G league and then bring him back. I think that's kind of the plan. They want him to get consistent minutes because they think he can develop down there. I think that's the plan. I think Diakite isn't nearly as much as a part of their long-term plans. Um, And that's why they are kind of floating them back and forth a lot more. Um, But yeah, Mobley's looked really good in the G league. So he's a smart player. He's a smart player. He knows what he's doing out there. I I think he would be. I think he has a little physicality to his game too. Well, well, more than his, part of it is just age. I mean, he's what, 23, 22, 23. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's filled out a lot more than his brother. Um, I just think he's probably got a more NBA ready game. Um, You know, obviously not the same ceiling, but higher floor right now. So. Well, maybe not higher floor, but definitely, you know, a solid floor. You're looking like right now a pretty solid second round pick, which if you can get a if you can get a guy that can give you even deep minute, deep bench minutes out of the second round, you're doing okay. You know, if you can get two positive minutes out of the second round, it's a good one. Um, Eli, anything to add about the second half of the season? The, or the first half that we didn't cover or anything you want to highlight that we need to see from the second half? Honestly, I think we need to cut down on these epic collapses in the fourth quarter. Because, um, I mean, like Chris is saying, the Cavs are like a top three net rating team, and yet uh, Cleveland is on pace for a 51-win season, which, look, I think at the beginning of the year, I think we would have been – happy with that but then seeing how it's actually played out now we're kind of disappointed with you know how that's trending at this point so i just think the part that makes it frustrating is it seems so fixable and easy to do and those solutions are still all in-house and my hope is just that lay some of us on there lay some of them on us the solutions i mean it's pretty evident the numbers do not lie 
Um, you play more um, Jetty Osmond. You play less Lamar Stevens. Um, you let guys who are battling with injuries actually rest so they come back effective. And, you know, I think Kevin Love should not be a guaranteed – Kevin Love right now should be getting the Jetty Osmond treatment. I mean, not – and not have guaranteed minutes every night at this point. Now, um, this is some place where – I I don't – you might have missed it from the first section, but Chris and I talked about it a little bit. Chris, give me – give Eli the counterpoint you gave me. Oh, well, it's, he's been excellent. <laughs> he's been, he's been the top three in net rate. Like Kaz been in over the past, you sent the screenshot. I was, I was telling the story about the screenshot on uh, the last 10 games and loves ranked third. So even through all his shooting struggles, uh, the things that he does on the court still positively impact the team, you know, especially uh, we were talking about with the spacing. Like he's getting the other guys are getting spacing simply because he's getting guarded on the perimeter. I, and the, that's a fair takeaway, but you know, I I'm where Eli is a little bit like no, the problem fair, is, I think is, that's a fair counterpoint. The problem is, is that yeah, Chetty isn't going to be used. It's Lamar. No. Stevens. <laughs> well, and I don't know. I, I completely think that uh, JB does not trust Chetty at the four. Um, I don't think they're going to get the rebounding that they'd like to get. And I think that's a big issue. Um, the other side of that being, you know, and I, I think that's the reason Ch- Kevin Love's still playing is who do you replace him with? If you replace him with Chetty, you lose the rebounding. If you replace him with Stevens, you lose rebounding and shooting. Uh, you, you get some perimeter defense. But, you know, sometimes the – the way they substitute works well. You know, you saw that Lamar Stevens do a really good job on Franz Wagner against Orlando. And then you saw, like we saw the other night against Anthony Edwards, where Isaac Accord didn't get any run hardly at all. And you're like, why wouldn't you put your best perimeter defender on that guy? <laughs> so, yeah, more consistency like Eli talked about, you know, I, I really – you talked about improvement at the margins. I feel like the onus is on the coaching staff to improve at the margins. I see things they do from game to game to game that are just poorly managed challenges, um, not substituting offense, defense, getting Garland off the floor, getting a defender, and then coming back when you have extra timeouts and swapping those guys back out. Like You can buy yourself – half a point, a point here, there. And that's what tinkering at the margins is all about. But also I'm a hundred percent with you guys getting guys rest. I feel like almost all of the major collapses have been when guys have been playing way too many minutes and then they, they just are mentally fatigued. And then that's when the turnovers start happening. That's when they start doing stupid things. Um, you know, they just not managing the game well. Um, and that's on JB and it's on the players too. So anyway. I'll make one more point too. Yeah. Um, I think the Cavs are also really heavily going to rely on Dean Wade to kind of, cause he can do the shooting that Caleb provides and he's not, he's a better rebounder than Lamar and Osmond for sure. Just because of how big he is. But, um, 
Yeah, I he's think. kind of the, he's kind of like the answer at four that we, everybody keeps waiting for. Yeah, but here my I just don't have faith that JB will play him. I still feel like he's going to ride and die with Lamar Stevens. And if that's the case, yeah, I mean, then... I'll give JB credit. He, the, the one freaking player he actually does play is freaking Dean Wade. Thank God. I know he's been hit or miss a little bit, but yeah, I think he generally he's. I feel like he's actually gotten the fairest shake out of many of the players who haven't on the squad at the at the end of the roster. I mean, I'm I'm a little bit on JB, or I'm a little bit with JB in that Dean Wade's got to prove he can stay healthy. I think that's the biggest problem with Dean Wade. And I I think the answers may not be on this roster currently. And now we get to everybody's favorite part of the, or least favorite part of the season. Trade slop. A little trade slop. We'll start rooting around in the trash, guys. It's time for some trade slop. You know, last year it was uh, all about the trade express. This, this year we're, we're, we're mucking around in the trash because the Cavs don't have a lot of assets to work with. So what, um, what was the rumor today and tell me why it's wrong, Chris. Okay. The rumor today was Malik Beasley of Utah, right? Straight up for Karis, I believe. I don't I believe I'm, so. I didn't, I didn't read the, I didn't read the report. Um, I think it was hoops hype perhaps or somebody, I was reporting it, but uh, yeah, the reason why it's awful is because it, it goes back to the archetypes that these players are. Malik Beasley is a 3 and D guard. He's a 3 and D off guard that plays no defense and cannot dribble. So the exact player that killed Dallas in the conference finals and other teams for... See, that's the thing is that people, I, everybody's screaming about spot up shooting for this Cavs team, which I understand. Fine, whatever. It's average. Uh, but spot up shooting doesn't matter in the playoffs. It really doesn't. Like, it matters, but not nearly as, as much as the ability to create shots. Exactly. And well, what I mean by that, what I mean by it's not mattering is that everybody's playing max defense in the playoffs. Like you're not getting wide open, you know, unless you suck at shooting, you know, then you're totally wide open, you know, given the Isaac Okoro treatment, unless you're that kind of player, you're getting guarded, you know, you're not getting easy spot up opportunities for sharpshooters. So like you said, then the mid range, creating your own shot in the mid range is what you got to do. Or can you take advantage of an advantage created? So that was Dallas's problem. That's the reason why Dallas wants Karis LeVert is because they have no players who could take advantage of a four-on-three uh, scenario, you know, a four-on-three offensive advantage scenario. They What happened was Dorian Finney-Smith would cough the ball up or shoot a bad shot. And so that's what was going on. And that's why they want to get off those guys and get a Karis LeVert is because it makes you harder to defend in the playoffs. So that's why it's a bad idea. Like when Malik Beasley is then you were doing the same thing as we're taking a player with less skill uh, and trading him a player, even though, you know, everybody grouses about how bad he is. Well, he's a third option. Who cares? You know, you're nobody's third option is all that great in the NBA. Like I said, who cares? Yeah. Yeah, Karis. 
uh, Karras is a top, in my opinion, he's a top 10 third option in the NBA. So like, how are you going to improve on that? The only way you can improve on that is by trading for who you're going to get. Are you going to get a, a, um, are you going to get a Derek White or a, or a Marcus um, Brogdon, you know, or whatever, Malcolm Brogdon? Malcolm Brogdon. I actually yeah. think Derek White is a great comparison because Derek White is a guy whose shot has really gone up and down, and right now he's shooting well. Like, I think part of the issue with Karis LeVert is not – is getting him comfortable in those spot-up roles running an offense and getting him looks consistently in places he can spot up. And the Cavs are kind of terrible at that. Like they just don't set up um, plays to get guys open. They don't use movement. They basically stick two guys in the corner and that's where they sit the entire time on offense. And if the ball comes great, if not, or they stick them at the wings, like there's just not a lot of creativity in their offense. And, you know, they don't kind of tailor make looks for guys. And I feel like Karras is the guy that's all over the place, never knows where he's going to be from game to game to game. Part of the reason he hasn't gotten a rhythm in spot up shooting or some of the spots he gets, like, is he going to be a ball handler this game? Is he going to be a spot up shooter? Like, give him a role and let him pick up, continue it. And then when you got a guy like Mitchell Hurt, bring a guy off the deep bench like um Raul Neto and let him play and so the rest of the team isn't suffer from jerking around all the rotations I I don't know I just it, yeah no it's a fair it point. drives me nuts how they use him I agree I agree with you 100 because if you think about Karis Levert's role it's constantly changing yeah and and I'm not opposed to trading that guy if you can you know improve the roster, but I also think that that flexibility is really difficult to replicate. Like Malik Beasley, as you said, he's a guy that can strictly play the two and can't dribble the Cavs and doesn't play defense. Oh, and he's a convicted felon <laughs> from 2021. So maybe, <clears throat> sorry, Eli. Yeah, we're getting jumping here. Tell us to shut the F up. Well, I mean, I wouldn't. I would just to be clear, just so you don't, you both don't murder me about this. Um, I would not trade Levert for Malik Beasley. However, I think one of the reasons <laughs> they're be looking fair. at it, one of the reasons they're looking at it is Malik Beasley has the most three pointers in the association off the bench. And what do the Cavs need? The Cavs need someone who can make threes very consistently, and he's done that this year. Throughout the whole year, he's number one off the bench for threes. I'm glad Chris keeps mentioning Dorian Finney-Smith as a player who would not fit that great on the Cavs because he doesn't create or whatnot. But my counter to that would be, I think he's the perfect fit for the Cavs because I'd rather have Dorian Finney-Smith than Isaac Okoro or Lamar Stevens or in lieu of one of the two of them in any playoff game. Because we all know it's going to happen. There's going to be playoff minutes where JB can't help himself and will want to play a Coral and Lamar Stevens together. And I would much rather have Dorian Finney-Smith in the corner than either of those guys. And if you so don't you agree trade with that. those two guys instead of Karras. Or you fashion a trade with Chetty. Why are we trading the guy who actually is more skilled then? You're not getting rid of the problem. If if Chetty <laughs> if Chetty's not getting played, 
and Okoro sucks, trade them. Don't trade the guy who actually will help. Oh, well, I'm with here. you. I've said it for years that, you know, the, one of the best things that uh, Kobe Altman could do is cut Lamar Stevens because he's not any good. No, I'm, I'm with you. I would rather if it's if the Cavs are going to pursue Dorian Finney-Smith, I'm OK giving up Jetty and Windler. I mean, that works number wise. And, uh, you know, it solves a problem because JB is not going to play Osmond in the playoffs anyway. Let's not kid ourselves. In that regard, too, I don't think he's he. I think he'd rather play a guy like Robert Covington over Osmond at this point. <laughs> so that's Robert. another player that I thought about too, in terms of if you just want to shake things up, because what's there's no point in keeping Osmond if he's not going to play anyways. If JV's the head coach at this point, so I, I think that's actually fair. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And and if you're gonna get a player. The only asset you really have uh, is a cheap, controllable asset is Okoro. So the only way you're going to get a decent guy is with Okoro. Yeah, but I don't think the Cavs are going to trade Okoro. I think I don't think so either. I think they're they think well. They this, said they, uh, they they said they had a price. The price was uh, a rotation, a playoff rotation player mm-hmm. for Okoro. Yeah. Oh, when did you hear that? That was reported by Fedor a few weeks ago. Interesting. Yeah, but I think Fedor's kind of said that the only player you can really see right now that the Cavs would like willingly throw in a Coro would be like Ananobi, and there's no chance in hell that the Cavs would be anywhere near competitive to get a player like Ananobi. Well, the funny thing is, is I don't think Toronto would trade with the Cavs anyway, ever, <laughs> to be honest with you. Like, not any time soon or recently i just think there's too much uh competition between those two franchises like if i were to think of who the Cavs' biggest rival is right now to me it's honestly toronto i I don't know yeah anyway okay so we got to take a break uh we'll be right back with some more trade slop but yeah i'm i'm with you guys welcome back to casa podcast (laughs) it's with you like i'm chris francis um Eli, who are some of the other usual suspects in in your words for for the Cavs in the in the DFS mold? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think my dream target still is kind of Dorian Finney-Smith and Harrison Barnes. Those are kind of my two top. I think they'd be very expensive because they are on they're on teams that are also competing for playoff spots. So the Cavs would have to offer something that's a little bit unique for those teams. Um, and then kind of the more affordable guys, definitely like Josh Richardson, um, Dougie McBuckets. I think the Spurs would give him away if they you could get a matching salary package because he has another year after this. And then uh, Robert Covington is an, another name that I think could be had fairly, uh, you know, asset with uh, some lower quality assets because he has another year after this year and he's not playing very much, even though the Clippers are, you know, DM being and load managing uh, Paul George and Kawhi a ton. So those are kind of the players that I think the Cavs are targeting. And, you know, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of Malik Beasley just because on the court, he solves only one issue and off the court, he's a terrible person. So, (laughs) <laughs> That'd be tough, and 
You know, I, the more I think about it, Tim Hardaway wouldn't be the worst idea if the Cavs were to get some, you know, flippable assets um, to parlay into another move because, you know, he does have that veteran playoff experience and I think he's a little bit better as a playmaker than people give him credit for. But I, I, at this point, I'm still just not – but Beasley and Hardaway are not players that – I would trade LeBert for straight up. No, I'm with you. I mean, I I hate the Doug McDermott idea. I think he's so ridiculous. Like, you think you have defensive issues with Kevin Love. At least he can rebound. Doug McDermott can't guard anybody. Um, and and he's a tweener in a bad way. He's he's too slow to play the three, too small to play the four. Um, I I actually like the. Richardson idea because he can he's just big enough to play some three um but I I actually am coming around a little bit on Kyle Anderson uh even though he's a very infrequent shooter uh he's a very good defender um and he would actually play you know he's shooting 58 percent true shooting percentage um he's only attempted what is it? Uh, 21 threes on the season, but he's only played 19 games. Um, he only shoots about a three a game, but it's enough to keep defenses honest. Maybe I'm not sure. Um, but I, I do think he can play the three or the four for them and would solve some backup issues. Actually, I think he could be a small ball center for them too, but, um, that's a guy I don't hate. And, you know, Minnesota's, hasn't quite figured out what works for them. So may, maybe they'd do a swap for Chetty. I, I don't love that. But again, like you guys said, if, if JB is not going to play him, what's the point of having him on the team? I don't know. Um, Chris, anybody you got any names you want to throw out? No, I mean, you know, I would kind of lean back on the point I made before. We, we got a top three team by net rating. Uh, I'm with we, you. We we don't have weaknesses. <laughs> you well, know? they do have weaknesses, though. They need to close games. <laughs> yeah, well, and that comes with growing up, you know, and getting. Well, I think it also comes with having players JB trusts off the bench. Yeah, that you know, I mean, but at the end of the day, you know, our point guard's 22 years old. Our star player's 26 years old. Our third best player is 23 or 24 years old. You know, like. <laughs> They just got to grow up, you know, like that's how you close games is you, you know, grow up and get scar tissue. And, you know, hopefully, you know, last game was a sign that, they, you know, especially for Garland, you know, we would, ju- you know, that's how we began this whole thing is look at how Garland closed, you know, shut the door on them pretty damn good, you know. No. So, I, I mean, you know, and they did it with Stevens at the four, you know, so I this roster is deep. The roster is good. It's like, I go back to the coaching. It's on the coaching. There's what's been going on is a steady decline of the offense is what's happened. And the problem that he got to solve is they added Darius Garland to the mix and somehow the offense got worse. So how the hell does that happen? You know? So that's what they got to figure out. I I think there's a little bit of, my turn, your turn going on with Garland and Mitchell. Like they haven't figured out um, 
how to play together. I think they're each kind of better when the other guy's on the bench. And and maybe I this is just spitball, and I'd have to see some lineup data. Um, I don't know if you can pull that up, but uh, I, no, I would I love believe to you're right that they're better apart than together. their their offensive ratings go up when they're not with each other. And I, and I think that's part of the issue. And I think that goes back to what I said, you know, kind of the previous podcast is maybe you thinking about trade, you think about trading Garland, but honestly, I don't know if you can trade Garland and get return. Like we talked about so, before. No, and the, the I'm not sure you said, sorry, the go offense ahead. is uh, the offensive rating is highest with both of them on the court. It's the, well, never mind. I'm full of shit. It's the defense that tanks. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, and, but they are better apart, but that's because the defense becomes a lot better. Interesting. Interesting. And interestingly, they are a plus five with neither of them on the court with an elite defense. Huh. That's so, weird. Um, no, it's not weird. It's Karis LeBert. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, that's switch. really, really weird. Super weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I, you know, I don't know. I'm like I'm, I'm sorry. I've, I, sorry, I've retired my slop shoes for this this season. But no, we, we actually have a good team. We like, like the whole my whole slop endeavor was last year. What did I say? I said get Donovan Mitchell or Zach Levine or Bradley Beal. That's who I said to get. I said get one of the disgruntled fish, the the disgruntled big fish out there. And we got him. I'm with you. I mean, I, I think my take at this point is the Cavs do need another 3 and D wing. I don't think Stevens is remotely playable in the playoffs. Um, I don't think Kevin Love is playable in the playoffs. They need to get another big um, that can come off the bench and be playable in the playoffs. Um, and they solved those two things. And the wing isn't even actually as important because they can probably run three guard as long as they stay healthy, but they need another big or that is actually playable. Um, and that's a, a three, four combo. A guy like a Kyle Anderson's probably perfect for them, but I don't know if that guy is out there and they have the assets to get him. And I, I hate to break it to you. The, Third pace, uh, I guess they're fifth place now in the West. Um, Kings are not trading Harrison Barnes to the Cavs, Eli. As much as I'd like him to, he's playing way too many minutes for them. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's a good player. They shouldn't just really know they give him away. So. Yeah, I mean, the only reason they might is if he told them that he was walking, but I don't think he'd walk to Cleveland. So, <laughs> so there we go. <laughs> Yeah, and it just drives me nuts because, like we talked about, Chetty Osmond's on such a great contract, too. Um, that contract is like a bargain next year. Um, and and he, it's a team option, too. It's like it, it's hard to get better than that. So I don't know. I mean, if some of me wants to, I don't know, any other rumors you've heard that like around the NBA of, of who you think is going to be on the move? Who, who do you think is most likely to move, Eli? Um, I would have to say it's probably – I'll give you two names. I'm that generous. I think Jakob Poto. Yeah, I think probably, he's – yeah. 
there's no because I think they just came out that he turned down the extension. Um, yeah. But you know, I think the Spurs are. It's interesting. The Spurs are obviously a well-run franchise because they can't even extend any of these max-level players because of the contracts they're on. Um, and that's kind of what happened with Dujan to Murray, too. They couldn't give him a max extension. They'd have to roll the dice till when he's a free agent. So Yeah, a restricted free agency. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, And then another one is Gary Trent Jr. I think the Raptors are going to have to trade him because they're not going to want to go to free agency with him. Um, and I just think that, ironically, the, the Raptors have so many guys that are between 6'5 and 6'8, and there's a lot of overlapping skill set, and there's a lot of you know, um, just being on each other's toes and not being effective so or efficient with how much talent they have at that spot. So I think... They'll definitely have to trade him, and I think. What What about FVV? Do you think Fred Van Van Vliet gets moved? I just don't think so. I think if anything, he'll probably leave as a free agent. Um, I think there was a report today that there, are, you know, the Magic and the Heat would be interested in him. Um, I think the Magic with Fred Van Vliet are deadly. That that team oh, terrifies yeah. me a little bit in two years, for sure. But um. I think those are kind of the, the big names to watch and candidly because usually what happens is these names get reported and then they end up not getting moved. So if anything, that's just what's happening in the news right now. Yeah. yeah well, there's a that. lot of yeah, there's a lot of smoke with the Gary Trent Jr. one. So I mean I they they looked awful tonight. They lost against the Giannis Sliss Bucks. So yeah, they did not look good. Um, yeah. And who, who was it lit him up? Grayson Allen. <laughs> yeah, for 130, like 130 points given up. Jeez. Not not individually, but yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the guy I think most likely to be moved is um, probably probably Eric Gordon. And, and it may be on a buyout and it may be. I actually think that Houston overplayed their hand a little and should have traded him last year because he's not been nearly as good, especially as a shooter. Um, but I think Eric Gordon is a guy that probably gets moved um, or or just bought out because um, I think Houston doesn't have any reason to keep him. Um, and, and I will say the other guy is probably Russell Westbrook. I think that L.A. just has too much invested in LeBron. Uh, Genie will capitulate and trade those distant first-round picks and get um, try and get some help for LeBron because he's putting on the full-court press right now. So that, those are the two guys. Thoughts on that? Oof. I don't know. I can't see Westbrook going anywhere. Oh, I think it, it strictly is a contract. I'll be interested to see if Chicago ends up moving away from Levine or DeRozan. That's one that could be the start of a cascading of moves. Um, but yeah, that what would you, what would you guys think of DeRozan on the Cavs? No, <laughs> I I don't think his defense at all. Is, his de- his defense is too bad. He's too old now. 
I think I'd rather have Levine, honestly. Yeah. Well, absolutely. yeah, everybody would, but yeah. Oh, really? I didn't. I don't. I didn't know that was the consensus. Because um, no, the Bulls right. feel. No, I, it yeah. feels like the Bulls like the Rosen more than Levine, though, which is kind of weird. Yeah. I I actually think that Levine's probably more likely to move. Um, I I think you're not going to get as big of a return for DeRozan. Um, I think he DeRozan fits the bulls a little more in the short term. I also think that um, Levine's younger is going to bring back more, but that's a weird team. So one name that hasn't been mentioned that has been mentioned as a lot of trade slops surrounding him is John Collins. Juice Collins? Yeah. The pride, the, the demon deacon. What the hell is going on with that? What's going on there, Eli? I know you keep up on all your fellow deacons. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised that Atlanta wants to get rid of him, considering he's kind of done everything they've asked him to. Like, he put up huge numbers, and then they're like, well, we need you to play more winning basketball. And then he started playing better defense and – you know, try to adjust his game to fit Trey better. And he's done all that and they're still trying to boot him out of there. So that team gets my vote is like, they've replaced the nets as the league's most dysfunctional. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. What were you going to finish? Oh no, but I I agree. I think the Hawks are, I mean, ironically, I think they've won like three in a row, but um, I just think that they're, I just think Collins is just an interesting player because he has to go to a team that has like a dynamic shooters all around him and a center who can protect the rim, which Atlanta kind of does have, but it's not working out there. So I think teams are like, it didn't work in Atlanta with Trey Young and Capella help protecting the rim. So how could it, you know, really translate to a better scenario or, other teams around the league. So I actually, funnily enough, I actually think he would be a really good fit for the Cavs and could play the three and the four. Like <laughs> I actually think he would be a really nice fit for them, at least offensively. I, I don't watch him enough to know his defense, but his defense, <laughs> he can, he can guard the paint a little bit, but he can, he struggles on the perimeter. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely a better – he guards bigger guys a lot better. That's okay. why he played a lot of small ball five for them. Yeah. But – Yeah, I'm not actually – I don't know. I think at the four for the Cavs, he'd make a lot of sense. Yeah, but I'll be honest. I'm not the biggest – like, obviously I support all the Deeks in the NBA, but I just don't think he's, like, a great player. Uh, I no, think I think he's, he's like, a good player with a yeah. big contract. And he's a, he's kind of like one of those, like, power fours in like the early 2000s that put up huge stats. But then when he comes down to like winning basketball, I just don't know if he plays a style that is conducive to that. Um, kind of reminds me a lot of like Josh Smith with the Hawks, ironically, where he just put, he could put up like huge numbers and big rebounds and big points and score. He, but then, he's got a lot of Tobias Harris in him, I think. Ooh, that's a good one, too. That's a good one, too. Although, Tobias has been playing better defense this year, which is quite yeah. kind of unnoticed. But, As has Harden, which is on weird. The roll right now. Yeah, they are. And I, I've got that game up in the background. <laughs> yeah. 
Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And Maxi, I think is is the is the kind of the unsung hero for them. Yeah, Maxie he definitely is take, who yeah, the Cavs, he, yeah, yeah. Maxie's who thought the Cavs had Colin Sexton, I think. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Colin Sexton plus three inches. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um yeah, and it's so funny. Like Colin is just kind of a he's ag- it's funny he's actually approaching an estimated plus minus uh a zero like he's um he's actually the best analytically he's ever been and that's replacement level <laughs> which is yeah. kind of which is very funny but also uh, i mean he's shooting 61% true shooting he's shooting 49% or 40% from 3 49 from mid and 56 from no, he's playing at the really rim. well off- on offense for sure. Yeah, and it, and his defense is good enough that it's not been abysmal. Like he's there ranked 185th, and I mean he's what we always thought he would be—a good offensive bench player. Yep. There so. you go. Well, that is, the six-man agenda is vindicated. I'd say. Yeah. There you go. No, I I would 100% say that's true. Um, just looking at standings as we round out the season, who right now, if you had to make a pick of who's going to be in the NBA finals from, well, let's give you the, I'll give you the Eastern conference and Western conference finals teams. And you don't have to worry about the seeding matchups. Like who's the best two teams in the East, best two teams in the West, um, go, uh, Eli. I think it definitely has to be uh, the Nets and the Celtics right now in the East. Um, obviously, the, KD being out. Yeah, I mean, I think the Celtics, everybody thinks best team in the league right now. Yeah. In the West, man, that's tough, too, because the Pelicans were hot for so long. But with Zion and Brandon Ingram's mysterious injury, um, I don't think I can pick them. So, man, I don't know. In the West, I guess I'd have to go with. I think I'd have to go with the Nuggets and the Grizzlies, like right now. I mean, I don't see how he could go against Jokic's third straight MVP campaign. And um, even though I felt like they were struggling, and then I just looked it up, they've won nine out of the last 10, and, and the Grizzlies Seven. have won 10 in a row. So, yeah. It's, it's pretty hard to pick against those two teams right now. I think coming out of the West. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. What about what about you, Chris? Uh, I I, de- I definitely got Celtics and Nets in the East as well. Um, and I'm taking Denver, and I'm taking the Kangs of Sacramento. Olive. <laughs> the Kangs. The Kangs. I, I don't think they'll be in the conference finals. Like the beam, like the beam, Mike Brown. Shout out to Mike Brown. I, I think this is the year of the mid-market team in the West. I'm, I'm kind of with Eli. I think the Nuggets are the best team in the West. Um, I think they have the possibly the best player in the league, and getting Jamal Murray back has been huge for them. Bones Highland's been good for them. That Contavious Caldwell Pope trade was an absolute heist. Because he's been really good for him, he he would have been such a perfect three for the Cavs. Um, you know, I, I everybody's doing what they should be doing. 
Um, Aaron Gordon, after laying a turd in the playoffs last year, has been great for them. Um, and obviously the Grizzlies, deepest team in the NBA, um, you know, got Ja, legit MVP candidate, 110 straight. There, there's just no weakness on that team. Um, the question for them is, do they have the um, – can they do it in the playoffs? Do they have the experience? And in the East, I'm legit terrified of Boston because they just got Robert Williams back, and now they're talking about trading for Jacob Podol. Uh, honestly, I think those were their only two holes. Um, I, I'm not sure if they get a guy like uh, Podol how you beat him in the playoffs. Like they're going to be really difficult to match up against. Um, I, I, it's kind of looking like uh, losing their coach was a blessing in disguise. Um, so that that's been big for them. Kind of the same way with the Nets too. I Jacques Vaughn. It's really nice to see him get a second chance, but I think the Nets are just going to have too many injury and roster hole issues in in the playoffs and. You know, second team in the East, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Bucks just because until they're dethroned, um, I, I gotta go with them. And although seventy sixers are like one A, one B, one C. So anyway. Um coming up for the Cavs, what do we got uh coming up on Wednesday? They go to the Memphis, I think. Oh yeah, that's a tough game. And then it looks yeah. like Donovan Mitchell's not playing. And then the Cavs have a really tough back-to-back at home. I'll be at one of those games. Um, Ooh, nice. But they host. Which one? I'll be at the Warriors. Um, you better you know, be wearing that gold it. jacket, Eli. <laughs> yeah, I probably should. Yeah. They probably need it. Um, I hope the Cavs are fully healthy and yeah. that they're ready to exact some revenge after collapsing in the fourth quarter against them in the Warriors. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the worst losses of the year. Oh, for sure. That one and the Clippers one just freaking are burned into my brain still. So (laughs) yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm going, um, and then they got Nick's rockets thunder. So it gets a little easier. Well, they got the, they got the bucks, on Saturday, so right, right, right. Yeah, that's which a is, I mean, that's brutal a tough, back to back. Yeah, it's brutal uh, sequence of games, but maybe Giannis will still not be playing. Hopefully, so <laughs> yeah, you know. yeah, and and hopefully the Cavs are fairly healthy come uh, come the Warriors game. So. Yep. Anything else you guys want to throw out there, NBA wise, or you got anything to pitch? No. Nothing. I, I'm drawing a blank. You're Sorry. drawing a blank. I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> I'm um, okay. Yeah, something. Speaking of the games, um, I tweeted this out, but the Korean Cavs group chat is actually there. Are actually going to be two members from it flying all the way from South Korea. That's to awesome. go to this to this homestand um, for the Cavs. Yeah. So they're actually like yeah. like one of them have. One of these guys have never been to the United States, and of all places in the world, he's like, I just want to go to Cleveland and watch the Cavs. So wow. he's literally flying from Korea to go to the Cavs games. Are you um, meeting him? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna meet uh, maybe after the game on Friday. Okay, but they 
they got a ho- he got a hotel right next to the arena. Um, he's going to both games on Friday and Saturday. That's awesome. Um, I hope he gets Mitchell for one of them, or at least one. I, I hope, I hope so he too. gets Mitchell would, for both. Yeah, and then the other guy, he's kind of the ringleader of the group, but he's he's been in the U.S. before, but you know he he also just pinpointed this weekend because. Those two great opponents in one weekend, so why not, you know, splurge on a weekend like that? So, yeah, I'll be um, going up to the game on Friday, and I'll probably grab a beer and maybe some tacos after the game. Uh, nice, so, nice. Throwing a shout out to the Korean uh, group chat on the that are diehard Cavs fans. That's awesome. Hell That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and my uh, my pitch this week is probably I'm just gonna. I've been playing a game with my daughters called, um, oh, what's it called? Stray. And it's about a stray cat. You're a stray cat wandering through the abandoned streets of a uh, kind of cyberpunk post-apocalyptic city uh, trying to find your way home. And the, the city is, is populated by uh, robots. Um, and you have to kind of interact with them and uh, avoid uh, these big green meanies that are taking over. The, well, I guess they're orange meanies that are taking over the city. Um, but it's it's a very nonviolent game. And it's a very um, it's just got a really good story. Great graphics, um, really good concept. It's, it's probably only about 20 hours of, of playtime, but um, it's a super cool game. Um, really easy one to play with your kids um, because you don't have to worry about them seeing something they shouldn't. So I I've been enjoying that. Uh, it's called stray. You can get it on steam or wherever. Um, and then I believe it is. Let me look at this. I've been listening to okay computer. Yeah. And uh, this year is the 25th anniversary of that album. And oh my God. I know it makes you feel old as hell. Doesn't it? Came out in May 19... Actually, I guess it was last year was the 25th anniversary. So May 1997. Albums... It's still 25, so you can still get it in the silver anniversary, but uh, still holds up. Um, Also, if you're interested in a little uh, reggae influence, uh, Radio Dread is a... Oh, yeah. ...album that came out. It's all reggae covers of OK Computer songs. Also fantastic. So check out both those. Um, OK Computer still... there isn't a loser on the no loser track on the um on the album so um hopefully uh hopefully uh uh evil genius is listening and and smiling right now because i know he's a big radiohead fan so hell yeah hell yeah shout out to eg okay chris come on you haven't thought of a pitch by now Oh no, I've, I've been enjoying yours, listening intently. It's, it's fantastic. Well, you made me think of music, uh, actually, with the with the um, with the uh, radio dread, uh, uh, with the radio dread uh, reference. I'll, I'll give a shout out to I'll give a shout out music shout out to um, Barris Hammond. Everybody, check out Barris Hammond. One How do you spell that? B e r e s. Hammond, like the Hammond organ. Okay, nice. And okay. Uh, he he was a uh, he, he was big in the eighties and nineties in the reggae world. Jamaican singer songwriter. Uh, you know, uh, he does uh, 
he does love songs, you know, writes classic love songs. Um, he's like the, um, who is it? He's like the Lionel Richie of reggae, I'd say. Something like oh, that. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Very nice. So, I, d- yeah. I do love Lionel Richie. Yeah. It's, it's, say you, say me, dancing on the yeah, ceiling. He, he's smooth. <laughs> he, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You make me nice. think of Casey Kasem. Got, got some Yacht ceiling. Rock vibes going on there. It's, yeah, exactly. It's, it's all about smooth music. <laughs> there you go. So, oh my God, yes. Uh, the, the track that I was thinking of, um, No Disturb Sign. That's that's the that's the number one track by Bears Hammond. No disturb sign. Check it out. Nice. Well, and with that, uh, we're gonna call it a night and uh, look forward to the Cavs taking on the Grizzlies tomorrow. Um, I guess it will be today when this posts. But um, <laughs> everybody enjoy uh, enjoy the game and go Cavs. Go Cavs. Go Cavs. Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blogs podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite blogger. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done.